0: how the holy spirit works uh, if you are new to church or you haven't been around church or maybe you haven't been around church in a long time and i say man the holy spirit is good some of us have different contexts for what that means and a lot of us we haven't had an interaction with him or we've been taught uh, some weird theology around who he is and uh, but this is this is who he is if you're de church unchurch uh you know if you're buddhist uh, Muslim, Hindu, whatever you came in with, uh, this is what I do know. He's here and he's here to meet with you. He's here to work in your heart. And, uh, and I know that he's got something he's gonna do uh, this morning. But I love how we we're talking about this whole storm and foundation and, and all of that. You know, the thing about that parable, uh, both of those men built in the same spot but one dug down through the sand to find the rock. And and what happens sometimes in life is you've got to evaluate that. There are times in your faith where you're gonna have to grab a shovel because some stuff has come in and you've got to get back down to the rock. But God wants to build some stuff. And so we're we're gonna look at some things that I think uh, are very, very important. If you're a believer in the house, it's very, very important that we receive these things, we have a teachable spirit about, and that we're able to apply some of these things. But I'd also say, some of you, when we talk about Jesus being the foundation, you don't have any concept of that because you don't have a relationship with him. Well, I wanna let you know that today is the day of your salvation. And he's here to meet with you and he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. And so, but I still think that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, even if you're not a believer in this room. Because there are some things that he put inside of you before you ever took one breath that he wants to bring into life as you encounter him and encounter salvation. And today I want to look at Acts uh, chapter 27 and then a little bit in chapter 28. We've been in this series, the book of Acts, for a while. And uh, I want to jump kind of in the middle of this because I feel like this passage or this particular part of the text describes how it can feel these days and certainly Uh, can relate to maybe how some of you feel even right now. In Acts 27, verse 18 says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. And I know that life can feel like that. It certainly can look like that around the world right now. But I believe that in the midst of all of that, God is calling us out by name to respond differently than the way the rest of the world might respond. With everything that's going on, I've just been asking the Lord to help me, to help us as a body believers, but certainly the body of, a Christ, of Christ as a whole, to lead better to lead strong to not just shrink back and wait on the return of jesus but to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden to be people that are standing strong as leaders and i believe the world is crying out for men and women who love jesus with all of their heart love and will not compromise his word and love people and are strong about all of it Strong and bold about all of it. There's Two of the greatest leaders that we see in the Bible in the New Testament are Jesus and Paul. And, and as you look at Paul, what I believe made Paul such a great leader is that Paul continued to influence and build the kingdom of God no matter what circumstance he was going through personally. Like it, it can be easy, maybe not easy, but less difficult to be really focused on the kingdom of god, really focused on being the person that god's called you to be when you're doing okay. But it's totally different when your world is being shaken, when you're in the storm and you're still able to not make it about you, but to make it about him and loving the people that he sent you to that he's put you around and Paul does this in, this in this moment. But Paul, that was like his whole ministry. Many of the letters, the books that we have in the Bible, Paul wrote from prison, like from prison. And I want to let you know, prison back then wasn't like now. Like they didn't have cable TV and good food. Like they, it, was, it was not a great place to be. But he, if I was in prison, I'd just be like, man, I'd be selfish. Right? I'd just be thinking about myself. I'd be thinking about how unjust it was. He's not thinking about himself. He's still thinking about the kingdom. He's still interested in building the kingdom of God. As we look at history, I, I, I could identify at least five leaders whose influence and leadership continued to expand even when they were in prison. I think about Gandhi. I think about Nelson Mandela. I think about John the Baptist. I certainly think about Paul and, of course, Martha Stewart. You know, all these people... Just such an impact. When we get into Acts 27 and 28, Paul is arrested. He's headed to trial. And and at this point, look, he has nothing. He's been stripped of everything. He's been stripped of position. He's been stripped of a place to be. He's been stripped of title, all those things. And in the world's eyes, he certainly doesn't look like he's in a zone to lead at that point. But he shows this exactly how godly men and women lead in the middle of chaos in these chapters. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "Without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble." Can I get an amen on that? And but that's true of every area of your life. If you don't have wise leadership in fa- in your family, your family's in trouble. If you don't have wise leadership. In your business, you're in trouble. If you don't have wise leadership in your community, you're in trouble. If you don't have wise leadership in the church, the church is in trouble. The question really though, isn't whether or not you're a leader. The fact is every person in here is a leader because leader is influence and every person in here has some area of your life that you influence. So the question is not whether or not you are a leader. The question is how good of a leader are you or how bad of a leader are you? Some might say, well, I'm no theologian, okay, but the moment you start talking about God, by definition, you have engaged in a theological conversation, which makes you a theologian. The question is not whether or not you're a theologian. The question is, are you a good theologian that is unswerving and unrelenting when it comes to the word of God being your standard, or are you a heretic? That's the question. Like, Do you contextualize scripture to fit your agenda and how you're feeling for the day, or is the word of God the standard no matter how you feel or how culture feels? That's the question. We're called to lead. God gives influence, all influence. The word of God talks about that. There's no authority that's been established except by God. We need to consider that and keep it in mind. But the fact of the matter is God gives that influence the word talks about it being like a flame. Okay? That influence is like a flame. Well, God has every right if we're not using that influence in the right way to blow that flame out. But the other thing that can happen is if you will point it towards his kingdom, towards his glory, and towards his plan and purpose, then God also says that he will stoke that flame. That's called revival. How many of y'all know we need some of that right now? But it starts personally. Every great revival has always started with an individual that the Holy Spirit worked through and they let him work through them. So we've got to examine ourselves, like how am I doing with the responsibility? If I am a leader and you are, how am I doing with my portion of influence? A few things I think real leaders do, we can learn through this passage of scripture. First of all, real leaders keep their head in crisis that keep their head in crisis. So I wanna read a few of the verses before what we've already read and then some of the verses following that. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have listened to my advice and not sailed from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground." On some island. Okay, so let's just stop there for a second because again, Paul is a prisoner. All right, so he's, he's headed to face an unjust trial. He hasn't done anything wrong. If it were me, I'd be like, this is my chance. These guys are going down. I can escape. I'm not gonna help them at all with anything. But I love this, that even in the middle of that, with Paul knowing firmly his identity in Christ, he's able to see a kingdom. He's able to see heaven and hell. He's able to see souls and he's able to see an opportunity even in the middle of that, to minister to people, to lead well. I love what it says, an angel of the Lord to whom I belong. If you can't settle that, you won't lead anything. You certainly won't be able to lead in crisis if you don't know who you are and who God says you are. You've got to know that. It goes on in verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. Anxiousness, stress, worry. Some of you are living in that place right now. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Okay, so that would not be in the Bible unless it was true, okay? Well, humans just naturally lose hair. Some of y'all quicker than others. Uh, some of you all the way. <laughs> You've done it, all right? You're, you're growing hair other places, but not where it used to be. I get it. I'm right behind you. But, but I believe that if, if God says not one hair, okay, so if there was a scientist there that was able to, to see, count every hair on every one of these guys' heads, even after, it's the stre- how many of y'all know you lose some, some hair with you stressed out? Okay, well, at that moment, I believe that in that moment, they didn't lose one hair. What does that mean? Why does that even matter? Because God's not just interested in rescuing you, giving you confidence and security in the middle of your storm. He's interested in every minute detail of your life. There has nothing that has been lost by him. There's not one tear, there's not one thought, there's not one feeling, there's not one hurt. None of it has ever been small to God. All of it he has kept track of because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because we don't have a priest that doesn't understand what we've been through. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us because he knows exactly what we're going through and how it feels. Not one hair, after this, he, after this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all. I love that confidence. They don't believe the same way he believes. He's just gonna keep on doing. He's gonna keep loving and living as a believer. I asked somebody, an uh, uh, old pastor, a friend of mine one time, I said, hey, how, do, how did you just interact on a day-to-day basis around people that you don't know, are, uh, if you don't know if they're believers or not? He said, I just treat everybody like they're a believer. I just act like I'm I'm, I'm just around people all the time. Like even, even when they don't, even though it's clear that they're not a believer, I'm just gonna keep acting and treating them like God created them to be. Because even though they're not a believer, God created them to be a believer. I thought that was good advice. I thought that was good advice. Like even when they're cussing up a storm and everything else, you're just like, Man, praise God. Sure have a vast vocabulary. Can I digress for just a second? Um, Listen, if you're a little bit of a cusser face, I want you to know I'm not offended by that. Uh, The only cuss word that I get offended by is GD. That is well, that that is one. I'm just like, but here's the thing, and you've heard me say this before, who decided bad words are bad words? Like, there's some words you can say them in other cultures, and they're not a bad word there at all. And there's words we use every day. If we said that in other cultures, they would be so offended. Okay? So I just want you to know, I think you should clean things up and not cause people to stumble that are around you. I think you should be a good witness, right? Uh, but but I think there are some things that that God has a little bit of grace for. And I think that if you can act gracious and loving around people, that's just an example. If you can just act gracious and loving around people instead of them feeling like they're being condemned or looked down upon by you, man, that gives you a much better chance to have a good witness and actually show them the love of Jesus than if you judge them for everything. Just gonna throw that out there. Goes on to say, after this, he took some bread. Oh. Past that. He broke it, gave them the, and they began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Okay, so don't forget, Luke is the one that's writing this. Luke is a traveling companion of Paul, and he's a doctor. Okay, so full context. Paul's arrested. He's heading to Rome to stand trial. On the way, the Lord told them there's gonna be a storm. Paul tried to warn them. They said, we're going the way we're going. No matter what you say, they find themselves in the middle of the storm. And then in the middle of all that, Paul emerges as an amazing leader and he keeps his head in crisis. He keeps his head in crisis in the middle of all this. If you're raising kids, in most homes, I find that there's one parent that is cool as a cucumber and the other parent that freaks out at everything. All right, that typically happens in most families, all right? So you got the one parent that if a kid comes in and they're gushing blood from their hand, that one parent is going to absolutely lose it. They are gonna freak out. Oh my God, my baby, my baby, oh my God, oh no. Mom, I cut my hand, oh no. Dad, it could be the dad, hopefully. You know, the dad's not quite like this, but maybe it's the dad, all right? Freaking out, freaking out. Oh my God. Mama, I'm scared. Am I going to die? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Okay, so you got that parent. And then you got the other parent. They could come in, like, missing an arm. The parent's like, it's going to be all right. Everything's okay. I'm just going to take my belt off and use it as a tourniquet. Okay. Uh, You know, you just need to drink some water. How many of y'all, like, you had a parent (laughs) that had, like, these ridiculous solutions to everything in life? Mom, I'm sick, I don't feel good. Just drink some water. That's gonna fix everything, right? I'm missing an arm. I know, drink some water. (laughs) It's like, I don't think that's gonna grow my arm back. Before you know, with that parent, they're like eating ice cream and watching TV like nothing happened, right? The point is God is looking for people that can stay level-headed don't lose everything, even when crisis hits. In Proverbs 24, 10, it says this, if you're weak in crisis, you're weak indeed. If you're weak in crisis, you're weak indeed. In other words, like you can say that you're a strong person, a strong leader, but in the moment of adversity, you lose the fruit of the spirit, you lose your peace, you lose your joy, you lose your ability to lead, then you weren't actually strong to start with. Great leaders know how to de-escalate tense situations not stoke them. They're calm under pressure. They keep their emotions in check because they walk in the fruit of the spirit called self-control. Great leaders can think clearly under pressure and they make sound decisions and they don't get paralyzed. They're not bound by fear or defensiveness. Like that makes you a weak leader too. If you're insecure as a leader and every time somebody criticizes you, you feel like you gotta defend yourself? Well, that's not necessarily strength either. God's looking for people that are like Paul. He's a visionary. He's courageous, but it's action oriented. It's not just words. It's action as well. I think there's two things that Paul does to show that he's gonna keep his head in crisis. First, he imparts courage to others. Twice he tells them, keep your courage. Why? Because I find the courage is something that you can hand off to people. I find that if you're a good leader, you know how to reproduce and multiply courage in people around you that didn't have courage to start with. But you impart that. The second time he tells him keep courage for I have faith in God. Paul is also lending him his faith. This is the reason why it's so important for you to have biblical community. You've gotta have a tribe. You've gotta have a village and community. Because at one point or another, no matter how strong of a believer you are, your faith can begin to wear thin. And at that moment, you're going to need the body of Christ to lend you their faith, to strengthen that faith. Paul was so assured that he starts eating. Like I'm sure the rest of the guy's like, this dude's just like eating. We're going to die. And he's like breaking bread and eating it. Like nothing's going on. Now, I can identify with that. Like in a storm, Jesus takes a nap. In a storm, Paul eats a turkey sandwich. These are some examples I can get behind, right? Like snacks and naps. I mean, I think that's the way, you, you know, at one point, when you hit crisis, those are two things you should probably do, right? I love that. David, King David had the same spirit in Psalm 23. We're familiar with this scripture. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I walk. I walk through. David isn't panicked. He's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He's not frozen. He's not depressed or sitting. He's deliberately walking. Confidently. He goes on to say right after that, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, well, this is huge because he's also writing that he understands who his real enemy is. His real enemy is spiritual. His real enemy is the devil. That's the real enemy. But I love this picture. There's like a big old spread. You're sitting there and you're cutting into an amazing steak while all of hell is screaming at you. Trying to get you to freak out. And you're like, no, God prepared this place for me so I can sit in confidence knowing that he's got me. Scream all you want. I'm not gonna lose my peace. I'm not gonna lose my joy. He hears from God. He hears from God. He gets a word from God and he settles that in his spirit. Man, you're gonna have to have that. When storms come against you, you're going to need a word. And I will say this, don't wait till the storm hits for you to try to get a word from God then. He'll do it. He is faithful. He's faithful. But I would say this, it's much more important that you get the word before the storm hits, that you settle it in your spirit so that you can go to that quickly. It reminds me a little bit, I used to, living in Colorado, and I've done a little bit here, but I used to rock climb and rappel and do some mountaineering. And a rock climbing rope, there's, there's a couple different ropes, but most people use what's called a dynamic rope. And this is a rope that actually has some flex and some stretch to it. So if you're rock climbing and you fall, you don't get really bad whiplash, you won't get as injured. It, it allows you to kind of fall more gently. And uh, these ropes, though, they're, the way that they're made, there's, there's an outer cord, which is called the sheath, and then there's some inner cords, and it's this woven nylon rope that's incredibly strong. Uh, there's usually about a dozen of them, and each one of those in and of themselves could hold you by themselves, but they put them together, and it's all bound together with this outer cord, which is woven together, lots of other fabrics woven together. But what happens is, The reason why it's made that way is because if for some reason that outer core begins to fray, you are still more than secure with what's on the inside. And I think that is a great word because at one point or another in life, the outer core of who you are will fray. And that outer core, it's made up of some stuff that we can't always control. That outer core is relationships, it's finances, it's health, it's politics, it's all those things. Those are not things that we can control and those things will fray. But the great thing is if you have been working on your faith in Jesus and have allowed his word to be foundly rooted in your spirit, that even when the outside core frays and breaks, the inside will not fail you. No matter what, it will hold on to you. And I think it's important that you spend intentional seasons, even outside of the storms, building that inner core. It is established in the word of God. It is established through community. It is established from hearing from God, from his spirit, just for you, what he wants to speak to you. But if you will spend time building that, then it'll carry you through anything. And if you will keep holding on to your faith, there will be a point one day Well, you'll need your faith to hold on to you, and it won't fail you. It'll be there. It'll catch you. It'll catch you. Number two, real leaders quickly shake things off. Shake things off. Once safely on shore, they found out that they were on the island called Malta. The on there showed unusual kindness. Unusual kindness. Well, that probably just comes because of favor. I think it's good to hang out around godly people because you experience more of his favor. Unusual favor. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it in the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to its hand. Okay, man, Paul just can't get a break, right? But I want you to remember this again. He basically just saved everybody's life, but he's still a prisoner. Yes, he's on an island, but he's still a prisoner. And he's the guy going and getting the firewood. Like at one point or another, I'd be like, I did all I can do. Y'all are on your own. Get your own firewood. But he's still serving people. He's still serving people when it's inconvenient for him, when it's uncomfortable for him. And in the process of this, he gets bit by a snake. Golly. So when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, well, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice will not allow him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. He He adjusts that or corrects that thinking shortly after that. Here's the point I believe that we have an opportunity as believers to handle hurt, offense, and attacks in such a way and in such contrast to how the world sees it and handles it that there is no way that the world around us can't see the goodness and protection of God all over our lives. I think we have that opportunity. And Paul like minimized the bite, like he doesn't even talk about it. Okay, so for most of us, we would handle this a little differently, right? Like I'm not afraid of snakes and I'll kill a snake, but I promise you if I reach my hand down somewhere and when I pull it back, there's a big old snake hanging from it, I'm gonna have an adverse reaction to that. It's gonna be high pitched. There's gonna be a response. It's not good. Are y'all seeing this? Sick hand, not good. Paul's like, like he's trying to get, like he's trying to get rid of a stubborn booger. That ever happened to anybody in here? You know what happens. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it's like classifications like a boomerang. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I'm going back to my kid life days. Please forgive me. Dealing with a very mature audience. Get off me. Get off me. He didn't give it the time of day because why? He's on a mission. He is on a mission. It reminds me of hockey players, most of y'all never watched a hockey game in your life. If the Razorbacks had a hockey game or hockey team, you'd watch them, but it's not probably gonna happen. But hockey players, here's the thing. If you watch hockey games, you never hear about an injury report. Like they never come out of a break and like in, in, in football, in basketball, and all these other sports that come out right like, oh, we have an injury report on so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. blah. You never hear that in hockey. Like in tennis, you'll hear if they have an upset stomach. Like, uh, got a little bit of irritable bowel syndrome, so it's really struggling through that. Not in hockey, man, they, especially in the playoffs. Like, they can go through all the playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. They so get done, you never would have known. But then you find it's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is playing with a broken leg. He had a ruptured spleen, you know, internal bleeding. He's good. Why? They're able to shake off major injuries because the prize is bigger than their pain in the moment. And the question I have, do you see the value of the prize set before you so that you don't get off track? Lose focus on the prize? And I wanna bring some clarity some things that we go through, they're not gonna get shaken off right away. And it may take some time and it may take some intentionality and it may take counseling and it may take therapy. And I believe the Holy Spirit knows the timing and will lead us and guide us as the great counselor to know when that healing happens. But I think what's important is when those things happen, regardless of the process you need to go through, when those things happen, I think you need to make a decision on the front end. I'm gonna shake this off. I'm gonna shake this off because I know it is not God's will for this to hold me back. So that may happen. But I want you to think about how Paul responded. The reason why Paul was able to respond the way he responded because he already got a word from the Lord. God had already told him, no, you're gonna have to stand trial before Caesar. So when he gets bit by the snake, he's not on trial yet. So he knows that ultimately, that is not gonna stand in the way of the word of the Lord. And that's why it's important for you to get a confident, secure word from the Lord so that when other things happen around you that don't align with that word, you're able to shake some of those things off. Here's an example of a couple of things that I think we do need to shake off immediately. Things like hurt feelings, offense, being misunderstood. Some of us, apathy, complacency. Some of us, maybe some discouragement. Because this is what I've learned. Whatever you fail to shake off, Satan will be faithful to stir it up constantly. He'll stir it up. And this is where strongholds come from. This is where strongholds come from. And, and, and we've seen some snake bites that have turned into some strongholds in the last couple of years in people. Here's a couple examples. A spirit of deception. People just walking around confused. I've seen this in so many people. I've seen this in believers where they've been led astray by strange teachings or they've gone to find teachings for their itching ears so they can hear what they want to hear, the way they want to hear it, even if it means compromising the word of God. I've seen some of that, and people have been deceived. Another one that I've seen is a spirit of rejection. A spirit of rejection. When you have a spirit of rejection on you, what happens is you develop a victim mentality. And when you allow a victim mentality to have a hold on you, eventually, you will force people to reject you. In other words, when you have a victim mentality, you don't realize you're deceived, but you're deceived. And you will still make your hurt about everyone else and miss the fact that you're the common denominator. And you're holding on to hurt and offense because you were rejected by someone. And because maybe you're not in a place where you're firmly secure in your acceptance in Jesus, that rejection eventually makes you a victim and then you will force people to reject you. It's a lonely place to live. Also a spirit of fear. Like there were some things that have happened, right? And they were serious and and real things but I just watched how people's reaction to those things in fear have now caused them to live in fear and anxiousness. So I just wanna encourage you with this. Don't ever make any decision in fear. Fear is not from God. Fear is not from God. Now there is the fear of the Lord, that's different. When you truly understand the fear of the Lord, in other words, how big and powerful and sovereign He is, the moment that you have a true revelation of that is a moment that you will never struggle with the fear of man because you realize just how big God is. And fear won't ever get a hold of you again, control you again, control your decisions. There are some things, what I'm saying is, We have a tendency to internalize them way too much for way too long. When in reality, we need to shake them off in the fire so they'll evaporate. (laughs) So they're just not an issue. And, And I would encourage you just to ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Again, I'm not talking about trauma. I'm not talking about things that the Holy Spirit has now revealed to you that maybe have happened a long time ago that you need to unpack through counseling, okay? I'm not talking about those things necessarily. I'm just talking about the day-to-day offenses. I'm talking about all that nonsense that happens on social media. I'm talking about just the different ways that people get under your skin, hurt your feelings, shake it off. God's called you to lead. Real leaders find needs and fill them. Real leaders find needs and fill them. This is Acts 47 or 27, verse seven. There was an estate nearby belonging to, I think it's Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after praying, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened the rest of the sick in the island came and were cured. When you study into the original language of the Greek on this there's actually two words used for healing or cure. Paul was used or saw an opportunity and was used to have a supernatural healing hand. And then Luke had a medical hand. But both of them just saw needs On their way to trial. On a way to be put in prison. They're just like, no, there's needs. And we're just gonna use the gifts that God has given us to meet those needs. Even with people that treat us poorly. Even with people that are gonna reject us. We're gonna lead. We're gonna lead well. And I would encourage you, whatever the gift is, whatever the talent is inside of you, the word talks about that. Are you using those to just meet needs where you see them? Do you compartmentalize what needs you're willing to fill based on the people that they're helping fill? Or are you just saying, I'm willing, I'm open? In Genesis 2.15, this is the original commission that God has given all of us Okay, this is before Eve, but this applies to you ladies too. It says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend it. To cultivate it and to tend it. This was the job, okay? This was the job. What was the job? The job was to make the garden even better and to protect it from outside influences that could hurt it. That was the job. We know that that Adam clearly failed in that because if he was doing what he's supposed to be doing, the serpent would have never gotten in the garden. But he didn't protect it. And I believe that God has given us a responsibility to first lead in the areas of governance that he's given us. The three main areas that God has given us a responsibility to lead in and to govern is first and foremost personal. You have to lead yourself with all these principles first. That's your devotional life, that's your discipline, okay? To cultivate it and to protect it. We've got to stop playing games and compromising with the things that we allow into our lives, that we know will negatively affect our ability to walk in the confidence of the identity that we have in Christ. We have to stop giving permission because so-and-so does it, and they're Christians, or everyone in culture is doing this. Like none of us as parents would ever let that fly with our kids. Well, so-and-so's doing it. God bless their parents. I'm your parent. We're gonna do things differently. But even as adults sometimes, we allow what is culturally acceptable creep in. Okay, so I'll give you an example for me personally. I know that I will not be able to cultivate and protect leading myself well if I watch too much news. And I could justify it real easy. It's information. I want to be informed. Okay. But at one point or another, for me personally, I can feel my flesh welling up. And I can feel my spirit man being pushed down. And at that point, I am not cultivating and I'm not protecting. I'm not going to project my personal convictions on you. But I will say this. I think it's really important, especially this time of year, you're very careful what you let into your home. You're very careful what influences you're entertaining. The word gives us the standard. Whatever is pure, lovely, praiseworthy, admirable, excellent, focus on such things. You got to lead yourself, you got to lead your family. If you're married, it starts with your marriage. How are you cultivating and protecting your marriage? With time, with understanding love languages, with honoring, with honoring, and being aware of the different ways that you could hurt that or let things in. And then also with your kids for sure. And then your ministry. And some of you are like, well, I'm not in ministry. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Because wherever you are spending your time, first of all, your family is your first ministry. If you're married, your marriage is your first ministry. Your kids are after that. And then it trickles down after that into any sphere of influence that the Lord has given you. Your career, the people that are around you, that is your ministry. And God has called you to cultivate it. It should when, when the world is around believers, the world should begin to get healthier. You should cultivate that environment and then do your best to protect it, to guard it. Told you we were gonna dig through some sand. I don't know what the Holy Spirit spoke to you, but I would just encourage you just to be obedient to it. Here's what I know. You will never regret being led by conviction and responding to that conviction i can tell you a thousand stories of people that ignored conviction and it led to a lot of pain and suffering but as i look out in this world into this room right now man i see so much potential i see so much gifting but i also know that maybe some of us have surrendered some leadership And I know without a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, step up, step up. You may have been in a storm, but I'm telling you the worst storm may still be ahead of us and it probably is. So we can get really bummed out about that or man, we can dig down, find the rock and rise up with some supernatural joy and peace that God promises that he'll give us and lead well in crisis, no matter what is happening around us. We can be the sons and daughters that he's called us to be and walk with him as our standard, with him as our encourager, with him as our truth, with everything that we need, he'll give us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. As I mentioned earlier, when it comes to Jesus being the foundation, when it comes to identity, uh, you have to have a relationship with him for that to start. And there might be a couple of people that are in this room that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I wanna give you an opportunity to have that. The word says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. And really what that means is there comes a point where you recognize it in your heart and you respond. And the confession of your mouth has to do with faith. It has to do with declaring to the enemy who you belong to. And it also has to do with you being connected to the body of Christ that's around you. And I would encourage you, at some point, every believer needs to declare their faith in Jesus. If you're a, a new believer, if you've been a believer a long time and you've never been water baptized, that's the symbol that Jesus gave us to declare that we're a follower of Christ. But I think it's important that all of our faith, you can make a personal decision to follow Jesus, but your faith is never meant to be private. Your faith is meant to be lived out in a way that it's undeniable who you belong to. But some of you, you don't belong to him yet. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him And if you're here and you know that you need to call on Jesus, you're ready to surrender to him. You recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that you are separated from a loving God and you're ready to call on him. Maybe you feel like you did this at one point or another, but you still feel distant and separated from him. I wanna give you a chance to come to him right now. And if you're in this room, you'll know because the Holy Spirit has already been dealing with you. It's just like right there, like in the pit of your stomach, you just recognize, man, I want peace. I want joy. I want to be able to lead like we've been talking about no matter what crisis. I want all those things. And I know I need a Savior. If that's you, I want to pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough just to admit it between you and God that you're ready to surrender to him. I want you to put your hand up right now, across this room. As soon as I make eye contact with you, you can put your hand down. Got it, thank you. Yes, sir, got it. Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I don't wanna play games anymore. I know that I need them and I don't have it. Anyone else? Yes, sir, gotcha. Anyone else? All right, awesome. Got like four hands so far or five hands, anybody else? Okay, Father God, thank you so much for every one of those people. Uh, Lord, I thank you for just giving them the boldness. Thank you, Lord, that in that moment, all that matters is you. And I thank you, God, that even as they raise their hand, they can sense your grace meeting them right where they're at. If you raise your hand, we're just gonna say a simple prayer. Like I said, I would encourage you to tell somebody you made this decision as soon as you can, declare it. But let's just talk to the Lord right now. Just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner. I've made so many mistakes. And I know that it separates me from you. But I believe that you came and you paid the price on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness right now. I believe that you rose from the grave. And when you did that, you defeated death itself. You defeated the curse of, of sin and death so that I can walk in freedom, so that my past no longer has to control me. But I also am not captive to the future mistakes that I make And I know that I'll make him, Lord, but I'm going to lean heavily on your grace. Help me to walk out my purpose in you, Jesus. Help me to stay firmly connected to the body of Christ. I want to develop a desire and a hunger for your word to be my standard. And I thank you, Jesus, for meeting with me, loving me, healing me. In Jesus' name, amen.